you know, pride, there's power in self-esteem, there's power in self-promotion, there's power in self-assertion. But the Bible says, no, there's power in humility. And in Philippians chapter 2, it begins with the stellar example of Jesus Christ, who is the best example of humility ever. He humbled himself to the nth degree, and God highly exalted him. And in Christ's humility, we see the, uh, the way to live. And about three or four weeks ago, we, we called it the down-up parabola. And we're going to continue our study. In Philippians 2, we had kind of a break because of the holidays. But we're going to discover three great illustrations of how to live this life of humility. And each of these illustrations demonstrate the power of humility. We're going to see, number one, first illustration, a workout gym. Number two, we're going to see shining stars. And then number three, we're going to see a joyful drink offering. And so I want you to look for all three of those as we read the passage, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Did you see those three illustrations? I tried to pause before we, we hit that, but the first illustration is found in verses 12 and 13. It's, I'm going to call it the workout gym. My dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why with fear and trembling? Because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And Paul paid the Philippian Christians a great compliment. He said, you Philippians have a great track record of obedience. Whether I'm there with you or whether I'm far away, you obey the Lord. And, and he's basically saying, keep it up. You know, Paul was, not, was intimating to them, uh, I, I might not be on this planet much longer. You know, he didn't say for sure. He didn't know. But whether I'm still on the planet or not on the planet, stay humble like Christ. Live a humble life. And as you do that, you will work out your salvation. And the way to explain that is uh, actually salvation will work itself out in you. We're saved not by our works, but we're saved so that God can work through our lives. You see, and we all know that God works his salvation into us. You know, we're, we're saved by grace through faith. But now that salvation is worked into our lives, it's time to work out our salvation by putting our faith to work. And so when we walk by faith, uh, God continues to work in us and through us, walking by faith. 
And that happens as we continue to obey the Lord. No matter what, keep obeying the Lord. That's what Paul was encouraging them. And so as we uh, work out our salvation, we do it with fear and trembling. And I ask myself, what does that mean? It means that we recognize it is God who lives in us. Wow, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. What a privilege that is. And so that means our life can become a constant, continual worship experience. We have a deep sense of reverence and appreciation for the salvation. That, that means that we will take his commands seriously. And our continuing obedience to God's commands becomes practical worship. Obedience becomes practical worship. That means we put our worship into practice in daily life. And, you know, as we work out in the gym, how many of you have ever belonged to a gym? Could I see your hands? A few of you, yeah. Um, you know, what, what happens? Well, we develop our physical potential. We grow our muscles. We complete our muscles. And, and when, when we work out our salvation, we complete the spiritual potential that God has given to us in salvation, right? We grow, if you will, our salvation as it's working and touching other people. Faith and works go hand in hand. And I think all of you know that Calvin said that uh, faith alone saves, but, but the faith that saves is not alone. It means once we're saved, good works are flowing through our lives. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 uh, makes it very clear. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves... It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no, man, no one can boast. You can't say, oh, well, I'm saved because I'm such a good person. No, you know, Paul's saying, no, that is not the case. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How many of you believe that verse of Scripture? All right, you know what that means? <laughs> God has already pre-planned good works for us to do now that he has saved us. Do you think maybe God has this next week planned for us? Yeah, he does. He has practical plans of how to put our faith to work this coming week. He wants to work through us. He wants to do good works to touch the lives of other people so that people see it, not us doing it, but see that Jesus Christ is living us. Jesus Christ is touching their life. And, and uh, you know, God always has things for us to do. Have you ever lived by a, 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 a to-do list? Have you ever written a to-do list? Do you ever get to the end of your to-do list? By the time I get to the end of my to-do list, I think of three or four or five or 20 or 60 other things to do. Right? God always has stuff for us to do. Well, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to trust him for the strength and the wisdom to do what he wants to do through us. And that takes faith. You know, we can come up with a list, but actually we were, life is discovering God's list for our lives. Right? God, what do you want to do through me? And it's a together thing. James 1, through 25, puts it in another way. It says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You know, I was tempted this week not to shave. And I, I, I knew about this, this verse, and I, I, was, you know, to, I was thinking about coming to church all scraggly, you know? And, uh, and, and I figured, you know, and the, the, the light in the sanctuary isn't the best because we have all the light coming behind you. But I figured, you know, you probably would notice, you know, if I came to church scraggly, if I hadn't shaved for three or four days. And then I was, I was thinking, whoa, I was going to rub my face and think, oh, man, I, I looked in the mirror, but I forgot to shave. But I thought, no, nah, that wouldn't be very good. <laughs> you know, uh, faith works. We work as God works through our faith. It's tied into obedience to God's will and God's leading. When we obey, God works through us. Our faith works, and uh, we're putting our faith to work. I, I like how Warren Wiersbe said it. He put it in very practical terms. He said, there are problems in life. Can you relate to that? <laughs> there are problems in life, but God will help us work them out. God, we trust God with our problems, and he works through our problems. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Faith works. God works in us through our faith. Problems get solved. Thank God. How many of you had God uh, solve some problems in your life? <laughs> More than one or two. And uh, one simple way to apply our faith is to pray a very simple prayer, something to the effect of, Lord, I know you can work this problem out, and I trust you to do so. Lord, I'm trusting you to, to solve this problem and get involved in solving that problem. So God working in us begins with our willing. I'm going to say that again. God's working begins with us willing, being willing. He gives us the will to do his will. The willing becomes, comes before the doing. I don't know if you're familiar with I think you're familiar with the story of Jonah. You know, it took God a lot of, uh, a lot of work to get Jonah willing to do God's will. But God has a way, you know, he can get you willing if you, you know, if, if, you, if you really need to, you know, some, his help, you know, he can have a big fish swallow you or whatever, you know, <laughs> spit you up on the dry land. I mean, Jonah went through a trying time, a very, he went through an ordeal, but he became willing to do God's will. And I'm not suggesting that we're, you know, become stubborn like Jonah, you know, and, and, and force God to change our will. You know, let's, we ought to become more willing to let him make us willing. Um, but we, we want to see God work in our heart first so that we become willing. We want to do his will. We want to obey. And that's when God empowers us and leads us and strengthens us. And he works in us. Our faith uh, works. Now, I... I uh, I came across an illustration. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but New Year is usually a time a lot of people make, uh, you know, different resolutions, you know, for changing their diet and working out and, you know, exercise and, and whatever. And I came across 
an illustration that kind of caught my interest. It said, moderate exercise is good for you, right? Not necessarily. One study suggests that exercise may do more harm than good if you're being forced to work out against your will. Now, I mentioned the guys that did this study. According to John Van and Ron Kudeluk, um, a University of Colorado researcher Monica Fleschner focused on an experiment on the effects of forced and unforced exercise on the immune system, that the part of the body that fights off colds and infectious diseases. And Fleschner studied two groups of lab animals. One group was allowed to run on an exercise wheel whenever they liked. The result was an improved response of their immune system. A similar improvement in the human immune system's response is seen after moderate exercise. On the other hand, the other group of, group of lab animals was forced to run. Their immune systems responded negatively in several ways, including having reduced levels of antibodies. The negative effects likely resulted from the stress of being forced to exercise. You know, I don't know if you can relate to this. Uh, have you ever had a doctor say, it's time to exercise, you, you got to exercise? I, I have a doctor and he said, Dave, I want you to walk uphill five minutes a day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't really take it seriously. Next time I go back to the same doctor, Dave, you need to start walking 10 minutes uphill a day. I could see where this was going. Okay, so I started walking uh, 10 minutes up the hill. I, we live up on Pilot Peak and I walk down to the corner and then I walk back up to the, our house and that's about 10, 10 minutes of uphill walking. Now, do I have a good attitude towards that? My doctor told me to do it. I call it the uphill trudge. <laughs> now, I have lost a little bit of weight. However, when I was 50 years old, I got into bicycling. And I love bicycling. I don't know if you've noticed this. You might not notice it here in the mountains, but most bicyclists have a smile on their face. They feel like kids all over again, unless they're going up a steep hill. And I enjoyed bicycling. I, I had fun. In fact, I went bicycling this last Friday, I think. And, you know, it, I had a smile on my face. And when I was into bicycling, I'd lost 50 pounds. So, I don't know, find some exercise you like doing, right? Okay, well, I'm kind of off the subject, aren't I? You're ready for me to move on. <laughs> well, First John 5.3 says, This is the love for God to obey his commands. His commands are what? Are not burdensome. God's commands are not burdensome. God's commands are not grievous. They're good. So this working out your salvation kind of workout gym is one of those life-transforming powers of humility. There's power in humility. And when we're willing to do God's will, that's humility. God works in our faith. If we work out, we get in better spiritual shape. I, I want to move on to the second illustration of the power of humility, verses 14 through 16. Do everything without complaining or arguing. 
so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. It says do everything without complaining or arguing. It didn't say do some things without complaining or arguing. It didn't say do most things without complaining or arguing. It says do everything without complaining or arguing. You know, there are some words that uh, mean what they sound like. Uh, I, I have a hard time pronouncing this, but they're onomatopoeic. Onomatopoeic. Anyway, it's hard to... It's hard, it's hard to spell that word. Onomatopoeia. Okay, whatever. Um, but one, one of those words that has the same meaning as the way it sounds is the word murmur. Can you picture someone who's just going through life? And that's what, that's what Paul's saying. Don't go through life that way. Um, you know, I came across an illustration about a monk, and uh, there was a certain monastery that was enforcing a vow of silence, and so each monk could only utter two words every five years, and those two words had to be spoken in the presence of the abbot, and one of the monks, when given his opportunity to speak, said, bad food. Five years later, his two words were, Bed hard. When given his third opportunity to speak five years later, he said, I quit. <laughs> well, said the abbot, you might as well quit. All you've done since you've gotten here is, is complain. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people who, who complain. I don't even think they hear themselves. It's just such a habit of life, you know. They have a, a wah, 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 wah tone of voice, you know. But uh, God calls us to shine as lights in the, in the heavens for him in a dark, corrupt, immoral, uh, morally bankrupt, spiritually blinded world. And Daniel 12.3 is a great verse for that. It says that uh, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who, who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And uh, we may not think of ourselves as luminaries, but that's what God, God calls us to be, to, to let our light shine. And uh, we're not to cover our light and hide it under a basket, but we let our light shine so that all may see our, what, our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That sounds a little bit like that work out your salvation gym that we were talking about in, in point number one. We work out our salvation through faith, obedience, and service. And what dims the light? We're shining our light for the world to see. What dims the light? What dims our star bright? Well, complaining and arguing and murmuring and grumbling, if we succumb to that spirit, then the world will see it and say, there's nothing there worth giving my life to. And so our testimony for Christ is dimmed by that, by our murmuring, murmuring and complaining. We turn out the lights. Um, 
You know, uh, Paul, I think, was saying, don't be like that wilderness generation under Moses. They were always complaining. It didn't matter what God did. They would always find a way to complain. You know, they complained when they were slaves in Egypt. Well, that's understandable. They had a lot to complain about. But then God freed them, and he, he brought them through the leadership of Moses to the edge of the Red Sea. But they complained about where Moses led them. Then God parted the Red Sea, and they went through on dry land. And Pharaoh's army drowned in the, the Red Sea when God had the waters come together again. And, uh, and they found themselves on the other side of the Red Sea. They found themselves in the wilderness. But they complained. They didn't have anything to eat. So God provided manna. And uh, what did they do? Oh, thank you, God, for providing food for us. We didn't even have to work for No, they didn't do that. What did they do? They complained. Oh, this manna doesn't taste very good. I don't like how it tastes. You know, I, I wish we were back in Egypt. They have, they have gar, garlic and, and onions, and they've got spicy food in Egypt. I wished I was eating the spicy food of Egypt. And uh, it didn't matter what God did. They just complained. Like I said, they were the wah, 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 wah people of God. Now, do you know anyone like that? If so, don't mention their name. Do we sometimes, each one of us, fall into that trap? Yeah, sometimes we do. You know, Nancy and I really love our grandson, Quentin, but during Christmas time, they were visiting us, and here, here was Quentin. Now, kids go through kind of the complaining stage. Have you noticed that? We're, we're supposed to outgrow that, but here's Quentin. He loves ice cream, and he's at the table, and there's a little cup of ice cream in front of him, and he's got a spoon. I thought, this kid is going to be happy. He started crying. What's the matter? You didn't let me scoop out my own ice cream. Now, we love Quentin. And there are a lot of kids who complain a lot more than he does. But, you know, there's some adults that sometimes complain. You know, we haven't outgrown that childish stage, have we? All right. Well, true humility leads us to work our salvation through obedience. We apply faith to our lives. One of the victories that we gain is that we stop complaining, we stop bickering, we stop murmuring, we stop fighting. And people will notice that kind of good change and will appear to them like stars shining in heaven. People in the world won't be able to point their fingers at us and say that our faith isn't real or that Christ doesn't make a difference in our life. There's plenty of complaining and murmuring in this dark world. The world doesn't need us as Christians to do that. We don't need to join them in their murmuring and complaining. It's the opposite of Christ's call to a humble life. There's power in humility. Humility helps us overcome uh, murmuring and complaining. We're in the home stretch here. The third illustration of being, uh, uh, of being a humble person, the power of humility is found in verses 17 through 18. Uh, Paul said, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He, he mentioned a drink offering. 
And he compared his life as being like the Old Testament sacrifice, a drink offering sacrifice. I'm not an expert when it comes to the Old Testament sacrifices, but I'm told that the drink offering was usually a cup of wine that was poured on top of the burnt offering. And as it touched the flames of the fire or touched the, the burning meat, the, the wine would just evaporate and just ascend to heaven in, in a form of, of steam, if you will. And Paul was willing, more than willing, to give his whole life, to give his all to Christ as a drink offering. And that was a power of humility in his life. And, and humility enables us to give our all to the Lord as a sacrifice of love to him. We do it joyfully. The focus isn't on what we sacrifice. The focus is not on what we are doing. The focus is always on Christ and his sacrifice. And it remains always on, if you will, the meat that's being offered. Um, and, and the focus, like I said, is on Jesus, who is the true sacrifice. And Paul put it in practical terms in Romans 12, 1 through 2. He said, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? As living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Offer your whole life as a living sacrifice. And so we can pray, Lord, I'm yours. I'm all yours. Do with me whatever you want to do. Use me however you want to use me. Transform my thinking through and through so that I don't think like the world, but I think like Christ. And I want to just sum it up with um, a quote by uh, Charles Erdman, he uh, wrote a commentary on Philippians. He said, there are victories to be won, virtues to be developed, and crowns to be obtained. That's what the power of humility can do in us. Victories to be won, virtues to be developed, crowns to be obtained. And so we work out our salvation through humility and obedience. There's power in humility. Amen.